Hey, what's up? You're tuned into The Cutting Room, the show where we talk to industry-leading marketing professionals about their content marketing philosophy, process, and pregame before they edit an article live. I'm your host, Tommy Walker, and thank you so much for joining us live today. My guest today is Amanda Natividad. She is the VP of Content and VP of Marketing, my apologies, over at SparkToro, a platform that is audience intelligence and absolutely revolutionizing the way that content is being distributed these days and highly recommend that you check it out, sparktoro.com. And she, before this, she was the over at she was over at Growth Machine, one of the industry leading content marketing agencies for enterprise companies. And before that, she was at Fitbit. Amazing career. And she has some really amazing insights on what we should be doing for content marketing in this age, right? With the Google algorithms uh, changing up all the time and relinquishing control to the Google gods and to all of the different algorithms to have our content distributed. Uh, it really hurts our chances of being seen if we don't take control of that. And this is one of the major things that we're going to be talking about today. I also want to mention that there is a virtual conference that's coming up. Today is the absolute last day to register. It's called Spark Together. And uh, I am so looking forward to the guest list and all of the different conversations that are going to be happening that day. Now, without any further ado, Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Tommy. What's yeah, up? no problem. <laughs> not, not, not much. I'm sorry I botched that part of your intro. It's I, I just blanked out for a second there. No, the I whole... didn't. I do that all the time. It, it, or like the, when I when I join a show and someone says, "Tell me, tell me about yourself," I'm like, "Um, who? What was the question? Know? I didn't hear yeah, that. exactly." <laughs> <laughs> all right. So on that note, let's just jump straight into the questions. Right? We'll we'll skip the we'll skip that part. And tell me about your content marketing philosophy and how it has evolved over time. Yeah. So my content marketing philosophy is I think it really just today, I think my, my philosophy is grounded in having a strong point of view on something, whether it's challenging the status quo, introducing a new way of doing things, which, you know what, I think is also challenging the status quo, um, or going against the grain in some way to what people commonly believe in. That's what I mean by having a strong point of view, like having, a, having something to say about like, here's this thing, I don't agree with it, here's a better way to do it, or here's a different way to do it. Or maybe it's not even just different or better, or it, maybe it's, okay, this works really, really well if you are on an enterprise sales team. Here's this other thing to do if you're on a small budget and you work for a tiny startup. So things like that that are, one, point of view, but two, have a layer of specificity to it that really speaks to an individual person's needs. Okay. All right. I have a question about the point of view because uh, I know you've worked in enterprise, I've worked in enterprise, and you've worked in agencies, and now you're at a startup. So you've got this wide spectrum of experience here. Uh, point of view is a very difficult thing. A lot of our audience uh, is content marketing leads uh, and senior level content marketers within these larger organizations. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on point of view in each of these different environments, because I think that there's a much stronger opportunity to have that within the startup environment. And maybe that becomes a little bit more restrictive once you get into the bigger scale company. Yeah, that's a really good question, because I think what you're what you're also getting at, too, is like, how do you develop a point of view? 
Like, right. where does it come from? How do you harden these ideas? And I do think it, that is hard to do. But where I think anybody or everybody is positioned to do it is it comes from the ideas that you test, the things you're skeptical about, um, the things that you've tried over and over again. Like, mm-hmm. maybe the next time you're, you know, you're writing a, an SEO sort of driven blog post on how to X, maybe it's well, try it, do that thing, right? Yeah. Like it may, it, probably easier if it's a B2B audience where you're likely to be in the same position as the reader, but like try the tactic yourself and then write about that. Like maybe it's like how to, you know, ah, I need something good here. Like how to launch a podcast. Maybe yeah. it's not that, but let's just say it, it is that, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, there, are, there are tons of blog posts that will teach you how to do this, right? But they're, they, but nobody can say it in your way, right? Like, like right. Tommy, you have a, I'm sure you have a really strong point of view on how to do it, right? You might say you have to use Riverside or maybe you <laughs> wouldn't say that, right? Who right. knows? But and I'm sure you do have a strong point of view. Yeah, oh, yeah, You have a vision do. for this show, right? You wouldn't yeah. say like, yeah, just like do a show and I put on YouTube. You'd be, no, your show is not a webinar. Your show, it, it's a show. It is a right. thing that people attend. People show up, you show up. You have an agenda, you have a format, like you do all these things. You would have a yeah. really strong point of view on this. And I think other people can too, right? It, it, I think it's just a factor of being willing to, or kind of just, yeah, kind of just willing to willing to put yourself out there and test those ideas yeah. yourself. Well, we've talked a lot about lived experience on the show too, where uh, it's something that's becoming more and more important. And it's embarrassing for me to say, but when I was, you know, writing for different companies and we talk about something like how to start a business right you have all of these like people you're you're sort of mishmashing other people's experiences but then when i went to start my own business i realized that like half of the stuff that we had put out before we didn't have that lived experience and that's really embarrassing to say but like to have that point of view on you know when i went into my consultancy starting to talk to people about that and having that conversation with them about, yeah, here's what a small business owner, these are the actual challenges. And, and that really changed everybody's perspective on that. So here's a question, because Rand was on uh, a while ago, and he was talking about finding enemies. A lot part of our, our part of our conversation was finding enemies and going against the grain. Tell me a little bit about that specifically, because uh, it's very easy to try and play it safe. But Tell me a little bit about finding enemies uh, and, and maybe even just conceptual. Yeah, I love that because I think that's a, that's also a great way to figure out your point of view on something. Because when you choose an enemy, you know, the enemy doesn't have to be a person, right? It doesn't have to be a brand. The enemy can be the status quo, right? It could, it could be an outdated way of doing things. It could be an old idea. It could be a bad idea. Um, it doesn't have to be a person. But I think choosing that thing as an enemy and then being and then putting that stake in the ground and being like you know the old way of doing enterprise sales was doing a bunch of terrible cold outreach i'm here to say that you shouldn't do it that way what you should do instead is and i don't know this is if this is the right way but maybe instead it's you should create your own media company and create content that people want want to consume so that people actually want to go to you and learn from you and then you can sell your thing or I don't know. That's a point of view though, right? Like anybody watching can say, well, that's a terrible idea. Or they can say, that's a great idea. But if I were to move forward with this, right, then it would be on me to make the case 
for this thing. <laughs> right. Well, and here's here's a perfect segue into fighting enemies because you've been talking a lot about zero click content. Um, first of all, I would love to hear a lot of people here might already know what zero click content is, but can you give us a definition? And then how did that become your enemy? Right. Where did that point of view start to come from to, to position that so strongly? Yeah, I love how you asked this. Okay, so zero click content is content that has standalone value in the platform in which it's distributed. So it could be a tweet, a thread, a LinkedIn post, Instagram post, TikTok video, whatever it is. It is on the distribution platform in this in this case, social media platforms, and it has standalone value, which means the person reading or watching, scrolling through can just they can see it and consume it and understand it for what it is without needing to click on anything else to learn more, right? We're clicking on the link or click, clicking on the person's bio, whatever that is, is only additive to the experience instead of being required. So instead of, hey, wanna know this cool thing about podcasts? Check out my blog post. It's maybe it's a thread on like, here are the five things you need to do before you even think about launching a podcast. And then so ideally someone will read it and go like, damn, Tommy has a great point of view on this. I gotta read the blog post. And then maybe they'll click on the blog post because then they'll say, oh, I got a lot of value from this standalone short, like, you know, six part uh, Twitter thread. I think he has more to say on this and I'm actually interested now. So I'm going to click on it. So that's kind of the, the, you know, the overall summary of zero click content. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm not going to, I feel bad for saying this, but it's not a new concept. But you, right, no, you, don't feel bad about saying that because it's true because- no, no. Yeah, it's the thing but that you like branded it. You've you yeah. own it now. <laughs> yeah, because I tell think me about it was, that. Well, I think we've been seeing the best content creators, people in the entertainment space, doing this already. But even mm -hmm. then, a lot of them haven't been doing it already, right? Like, if I think about per, this is me personally, if I think about the first movie trailer that I thought did zero click content, to me, mm -hmm. it's Dunkirk. Do you remember the Dunkirk I movie do. trailer? I do. That was amazing. How many years ago was this? Was this like 10 years ago? No, I mean, so. 10, maybe eight years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dunkirk, the, the trailer that I saw in theaters, along with a lot of other people, was a scene from the movie. It was like three or four minutes of the movie where like the bombs are about to drop. You know, it's quiet. You hear planes. You hear bombs in the distance. People are running. It's, a, it's an actual scene. And so yeah. that was a, that that to me is zero click content. Like that was like holy shit they're setting the stage for World World War was it 1 or 2? I think it was 1. I don't remember. One. Yeah. Yeah, I think um they're setting the stage for this thing. Of course we the viewers know know how the war ends, right? It's a historical right. event. But in seeing it in this way it was like oh wow, like we we're seeing this war about to happen or we're gonna, we're seeing the first step of this thing. And it had that standalone value. You didn't have to know who the characters were because we knew right. like they're these are soldiers in the war. Like I don't have to know their names. We don't need to know that yet. So you know that there's works, a story surrounding but these people. A story. And now you're invested in the story. Totally. And that yeah. and this, that that one scene told a piece of that story in a standalone format. And so anyone mm -hmm. watching, I think there's so many, from what I remember of watching this, like at a movie theater, people were just gasping and were like, "Holy shit! I cannot wait to see that movie." So that was my first like 
I mean, of course, back then I didn't think, oh, this is zero click content. <laughs> right, 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 but, of course. But it was like, oh, this is standalone valuable. Um, other people like Howard Stern, right, radio host, is like so famous for doing this. And you could say maybe even t- to his detriment and that people often take his interviews out of context and they go, oh my God, he said this terrible thing. When he's giving the juiciest bits of these like, I think he, I think his celebrity interviews are like one, two hours long. Yeah. He was doing this before podcast even existed. So one, he was like the original long form um, like interview host. And yep. then he, he's been posting, I guess for the past several years, has been posting like two to three minute clips on his YouTube channel of just the juiciest parts of the interviews, which has like a standalone story where they cover one specific topic in the actor's life or or in the celebrity's life. So standalone value, but then you as the viewer are like, oh, shoot, I really want to watch the rest of this interview. And the only way to do that is to subscribe to SiriusXM. I'm going to show a little bit more of my nerdy side on the first time I remember seeing the full uh, scene. So the first one, I don't remember what the movie was that I was watching. And that kind of tells you what the experience was like, uh, was the first, the opening sequence of The Dark Knight, right? Mm-hmm. Where they had the entire heist sequence shown, and which was like, oh, it set up everything else perfectly. And then the other one was, and this was at the beginning of the Avatar movie, right? Where it was Star Trek, right? The the new Star Trek reboot that they did. It was this really cool scene that they had shown off. And it was like, yeah, I'm now already invested in these characters and the story, like beyond just like, hey, this is this cool flashy thing. Yeah. It's it's more like, um, this is really cool. Now let me, I can't wait to see the rest of this. Um, I'm going to put in the chat here to everybody, the major blog post that you've written on zero click content. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. So you don't have to click on it if you don't want to. <laughs> but uh, but if you want to go a little bit deeper into it, uh, it's definitely there. Now, let's we're, we're a few minutes in now. So let's actually segue into your process for uh, the creation of all of this, because it's a lot more work. Like, let's be honest, like it's a whole extra level of work that it takes to create all of this. So what comes first? What's the chicken and egg scenario here? Uh, the the blog post and then the, the the social stuff, or is it the other way around? I think or a combination of both. Way. Yeah, Yeah, you should have both. It can go either way. I think it's what works for you because I've done this in a couple of different ways. So, okay, the first version of this that I did was, first story, I guess, is I was creating some course materials, some materials for my content marketing 201 course. And I was just making up a slide and I wanted an example of something that was like counterintuitive. And I was like, oh, what's an example? So I just made up a headline. I wrote like, Eight eight counterintuitive marketing strategies, and I just I just wrote it out and was like, I want to read that. Like that sounds cool. Right. <laughs> so then I was like, well, God, I gotta find some examples. So I was like doing some research on it, found some examples, and then and then was like, oh, this would be a really cool Twitter thread because I think like all bite sized pieces of content, super interesting stuff, all you know under different underlying principles as to why they're counterintuitive. So I yep. published it as a thread. It might, I don't remember how many. I don't remember how many counterintuitive marketing tactics there were. Uh, maybe there were like six or seven. And so I just I I tweeted that, 
as as its own standalone thread, thinking like, oh, that'll be that, that was fun. Like, there's the content, and then a couple of people had it, it took off really well. I think it has it got a few thousand likes, and people were like asking questions about like, wait, why is like I think one thing I mentioned was like the idea of adding friction to something or to an experience yep. can be a good thing. It isn't always, but you know how Twitter is. I said it can oh, be yeah. a good thing, and of course, like a bunch of people were like, why would you say it's good to add? friction to all experiences. And I'm like, I didn't say all. I said it can be. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I think one example was like the IKEA store layout, right? Yeah. The IKEA store layout, I think fair to say there's friction in having to walk through various different sets before yep. getting to the actual marketplace. Fair to say that's some friction involved. But Absolutely. where it works for IKEA is it's it literally sets the stage for the products that people are about to buy. And so it helps people envision like, ooh, if I get this, I got to get this thing. If I get this lamp, I need to get this nightstand. And I have to get these, you know, th this rug to go with it. And then you go to the marketplace and buy all the things. Works really well for them. So wrote this thread. People had some questions on it. I had more to say on it. And then realized like, oh, this, this should be a blog post. And so then I turned it into a blog post thinking it wouldn't take long, but of course it was like 3000 words or something. And then at the end, uh, I think I was, I think I was able to do it relatively quickly. So I, within the next day or two, I added it onto the thread and said like, by the way, if you want a blog post version of this, that delves into more of the nuance behind this, go to my blog post. So that's where uh, zero click content works really well in that if you can create content that gets people to just look at it and like reflexively react and be like, oh, I don't, I don't like friction, like that's wrong. Then, you know, that's where I can say like, okay, there's, there is a lot more about this. I'm not saying everybody should, should make things super hard for their customers. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm right. saying is that there are ways to do it. And by the way, in this blog post that I wrote, I do dive into some ways in which this is, this is effective and why. So that's one version of doing like the social post or zero click first and then doing the blog post. And the other way of, about, of this is what I did for the actual zero-click content blog post, which was I spent some time and wrote out this blog post. I sent it to Rand. I was like, Rand, can you please roast this? Because I really want this to be a good blog post. Help. So, you know, of course, I gentle roasting. And then after that, in the spirit of zero-click content, I summarized the whole blog post into a thread and was yeah. like, here, here are these concepts. Here's why you got to do it thread, 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 whatever. And then at the end, it was, by the way, if you want to read even more about this topic, go to the blog post. So that was sort of the opposite version. Okay. Uh, this I'm going to take it a step back just a little bit further because you have really good ideas. <laughs> like, you have really good ideas. And part of the, we talk a little bit about philosophy and positioning and you know, having uh, a, a strong stance on stuff. Where are you coming up with your ideas in general? I don't know. So <laughs> 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 I don't know. Um, so a lot of it comes up in conversations like this one, for instance, okay. like actual like one-to-one -one conversations with other marketers and content marketers who have their own ideas and questions and, you know, will maybe in a you know friendly way, like challenge my concepts or my ideas. So that gives me, that gives me inspiration. That's one. Um, other things. Okay. That's not that helpful to, I think anybody here. Um, 
I do look at other sources of things like BuzzSumo, for instance. They have a really nice content ideas generator where they kind of just show you like, uh, I think it's called the content ideas generator. <laughs> I think that's hmm. like the name of it. But I, if you have a BuzzSumo account, you can look at things like um, in a given niche or topic, what people are, like, the articles that people have been sharing about that topic recently. So it kind of gives you a springboard for like, oh, like people are talking about, you know, podcasting recently. That's kind of interesting. What's my point of view on that? So that's one, that's one place. And then something I do, like, um, not all the time, but I would say like every several weeks maybe is I do run a SparkToro search like on myself or on okay. SparkToro to see like, okay, the people who follow me or the people who go to SparkToro's website, what are the things that they're talking about publicly online? So then from there, I go to the text insights within the SparkToro dashboard. And then I'll say things like, oh, marketing strategy, email marketing. And then I go, oh, email marketing. I'm like, I have a lot to say on that. And then mm. I just kind of think back to the last like, maybe pain point that I had regarding email marketing, or I think about um, the last time I, if I did, the last time I pruned my cold subscribers on the Spectoral list, and they go, ooh, I should probably do that. And then maybe I'll write something <laughs> about that and be like, you should definitely prune your cold subscribers, everybody. Like, here's why. And then I right. kind of like crawl into my turtle shell. I'm like, I should do that too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and that that's actually that kind of leads me into my next question about the process. Part of that is there's a lot of conversation around and and you guys are starting this. You're you're starting this conversation around, you know, who will amplify this and why. Right. Rand and I talked about this quite a bit, but it's taking more control of who's going to help distribute these ideas. And SparkToro is doing an amazing job of helping you surface those insights. What does that look like once you have the idea, right? Are, are you coming up with the amplification first? Who's going to amplify it? And then the idea or the other way around? Because I, I already have an idea of how this answer is going to go. But yeah, um, I, I sort of either or like it's okay. kind of a chicken egg thing. Like sometimes um, I'm able to have a good enough pulse on ideas, whereas I'm still in that ideation phase. I'll sort of know already like, Nobody wants this idea. There's no reason for anyone to amplify this idea. Like, yeah. no, like this isn't good. Or or maybe I'll write the thing anyway and be like, whatever, I, I found it useful, come what may. Um, I think a good example of this, it's a good example because it was kind of a flop, was any time that I've written about how to be a good podcast guest. Mm. So like things like how to pitch yourself to be on someone else's show or what to do once you do secure a guest spot. Like, how do you prepare for it? How do you be a good guest? So, like, I've written about this a couple of times, maybe, maybe like two or three times. And each time I have, it, could, it gets, like, no response. Like, yeah, like some people will say, oh, this was helpful. That was nice. But it never, ever gets high engagement. It doesn't, I, I don't hear anybody talking about it. Like, nobody says, nobody follows up with me and says, like, hey, I read that thing you wrote. And, like, on pitching for guests, like for guest spots, like it was really good. No one says that. So I'm like, right. this isn't landing. And so one theory I have is that people don't want to amplify that kind of content. Maybe, maybe they did read it. Who knows? Maybe okay too. Also, maybe even it wasn't even that good. So of course there's that. But oh. maybe assuming it was <laughs> assuming it was fine, right? Let's assume it was it was fine. There's no reason for anyone to amplify that because it, it might look thirsty. 
Like people, they're not going to retweet it because they're not going to be like, I don't want to be seen as like someone who was desperate to pitch myself on someone else's podcast. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to quietly bookmark this and maybe I'll read it later. So that's part of the issue of like thinking about amplification is what's the incentive for someone else to amplify it. And for something like pitching yourself on this thing on a show or in a podcast, it, it, they're, my, okay, my, my, the, sec- the second part of my theory is it looks low status yep. to retweet that, right? Because it looks like you're thirsty. It looks like you're desperate for something. I mean, I think we all got to start somewhere. So whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm putting it out there because I think it's useful content. But people don't amplify it because it's not high status. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. And that makes that makes perfect sense. Now, and I have I have trouble with this sometimes too. Like I'm bad at Twitter, right? You're really good at Twitter. I'm bad at Twitter. And the reason I'm bad at Twitter is I think one of the things that I do, probably more so than I should, is not thinking about what people will share. It's more about what somebody will think about privately, right? Mm-hmm. So so exactly what you're saying, if somebody's thirsty, they don't want to share it because it's going to say something bad about them. Right. Yeah. And content is a form of social currency. That's sort of one of my axioms behind the whole philosophy. So the question is, and this leads into one that uh, we sort of talked about in the episode and what you've been thinking about lately is the KPIs Mm -hmm. elements of that, right? Like when you're thinking about this stuff and you're going beyond what Google is giving you for KPIs, how are you thinking about that amplification and that balance between the stuff that gets amplified versus the stuff that you know people need, but you might not see overall? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So thinking about the KPIs like of, for instance, zero click content. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I think it's, I think it's all the sort of traditional KPIs that we've I think people still track, but I think when social media like first came out, first became a thing, you looked at impressions and likes and shares. And I think we've, we've always looked at these things, but I think we're back at this. So like where we were in marketing, right? I think when social media started, what, 15 years ago, maybe it yep. was looking at impressions and shares and links and interactions. And then along as marketing evolved, you know, in the, in the past 15 years, there, there became the rise of attribution and focus mm-hmm. on conversions, right? And like marketing needs to drive revenue. And, and sure, it does. Yes. So there's a focus on driving revenue, driving conversions, attributing it to pipeline, understanding where your leads are coming from. And there are all kinds of wonderful tools that help you do this, right? It's not even just Google Analytics. It's or you have a like mix panel. You have what, like heap, yeah. amplitude. There are tons of ways to do this. But again, as things have shifted and kind of gone back to where we started, we're seeing like, basically, with new laws and the way people are going about security, privacy, the way these laws have evolved, plus with the notion of the top tech companies being at risk of being called out as monopolies or Mm -hmm. having too much information on us, have they pumped the brakes in their own way in the sense of like, now they now you can't get as much audience insights from Facebook as you used to because of the right. whole Cambridge Analytica scandal, right? Like a lot of what Spark Road does is what these 
huge uh, social media tech companies can do, but they'll never do because if they do, it's only going to prove how much how much data they have on us, which they supposedly don't have or don't track. Right. So I know that's a little bit tinfoil hatty, but there is. <laughs> no, it's true. But it's true, right? So it's true. Well, so we're back at this point where, right, where like third party cookies going away, stuff like that, where people are going back to, oh, shoot, now I got to go back and track things with impressions and with likes mm. and with shares. I got to look at share of voice again. All these things that used to be just be seen as squishy brand metrics, which we've seen be able to, it, once you track this over time, if you're tracking general interest in your content or in your brand, and if you track this over time, over the course of like six months, a year, whatever it might be, then you can start to kind of connect the dots going backwards and seeing like, oh, that one piece of content we did, it actually did move the needle. Like we didn't see it right away, mm -hmm. but you know, four months after, after having published it, more and more of our leads are coming in and saying that they found us through this blog post or through that webinar that we did. It just yeah. takes time to realize that kind of pipeline. And you have to, and you kind of have to like, just live with the fact that you can't get attribution for everything. Right. I think one of the things, and I totally agree with what you're what you're saying there too, what it boils down to for me, or one of the things that I'm hearing if I read between the lines, is you have to learn to trust your creative. Right. You see, you see what you're doing, you have the strong point of view, but you have to trust your creative to know that it is, you know, good. Right. One of the things that I care about the most when I run a blog, for example, is uh, scroll depth, right? I'll have heat maps just to see how far people are going down the page because if nobody's going down the page and they're checking out at the first couple hundred words, mm -hmm. that's it, right? So, and if people aren't amplifying the content, that's kind of it. I'm going to flip that around though, right? Kind of one of the things I was asking before. Now, podcasting is a great example because finding the right podcast to pitch and everything is a big feature, an amazing feature, by the way, of SparkToro. What if you know that that's something that people need, but you're also not getting that amplification with your existing base that you're going to? Yeah. I think that's where I would say you, you reposition it, right? Okay. Like the core idea you know, the thing that people need, you keep it the same, right? You keep it the same as like, it's the blog post. It's that 2000 word blog post, or it's the one hour long show that you created with someone. Like that's the core concept, the, the core thing yeah. that people need, but then you reposition it in different ways in order to get it amplified. So you, maybe you take one standalone insight from that larger piece of content, that source content. We'll just say source content. How about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you take one concept from it and then you break it out into a bigger thing. And that becomes a new positioning for it. Like maybe let's stick with our example of how to be a podcast guest slash how to pitch yourself on someone's podcast. Maybe yeah. that's a thing people need to hear. Maybe, maybe, Maybe you as a showrunner, Tommy, get a lot of shitty pitches from people who are like, yeah, let me come on your show. And they don't get, they don't tell you what the value is to you, what the value yeah. is to them. They're just like, I just want to come on. I'm sure it's happened to you. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. it happened. I've gotten right? a couple. I hand select, I've told people I hand select my guests. So <laughs> sorry. 
Yeah. I don't take well, crutches. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, it happens. Right? People are like, you should have me on. Like, I'd love to join. But like, it's so vague. And you're like, please don't do this. Right? In your head. Yeah. Um, but they, people like that need to hear, here's why you need to have a really thoughtful pitch. Here's why you need to show what's in it for the guest. Here's how to be a good guest. Once you once you get that that host to say yes, here's how you prepare for it and be a good guest for them. Like like those things, that, that's the people need to hear. They yep. don't want to amplify it. So maybe the way to maybe the way to amplify it is just to reposition the the, the lead or that, that content by saying like, you know, maybe maybe it's even like, um, because you could you can go the personal route or you can kind of go the general industry route. I mean, the personal route is I run a show, I get. 45 cold pitches per day i don't accept any of them and here's why right and so like that's that's interesting right they made someone reading that would go like oh, was i one of those 45 i want to know why right, <laughs> right? or maybe right. or maybe there's a broader like kind of macro level you can get into which is like you know 85 percent of cold pitches to join someone else's podcast don't get read and here's why so there's yeah. that aspect of like kind of making it about them the reader but it's also made general enough that somebody could amplify that and go, 85% of you are doing this wrong. I wasn't. Right. I didn't do this wrong. You need to read this. <laughs> so that could right. be that, right? That could be a reason to amplify it. Well, and I like that because just something that comes to mind is like positioning it like, oh, my God, I am so tired of hearing the same thing on every single podcast. You've got the podcast circuit. Everybody goes through it. Everybody has the same camp responses. Please stop. Like when you go to pitch yourself, please, you know, and then read this because now you have a better way to position yourself when you uh, when you're a guest. Perfect. Thank you. Well, that covers a lot of that. Now, let's say you've gotten the idea. Right. You have validated who's going to share it um, or whether it's going to hit in however way that you've been thinking about it. Now you go to edit and you just put a a great Twitter uh, thread on this uh recently so i'll I'll share that shortly uh in the replay what are you thinking about when you edit well actually what's your pregame before you sit down to edit so when i pregame before i sit down to edit so i guess one writing and editing are two discrete activities to me like i'll write something it's basically a brain dump and I know, I, I I know as I'm typing it, I'm like, this is terrible. I know I'm going to cut this. <laughs> like, I know I have been rambling for the past 400 words, but I yeah. just need to get it out of my system. And and it's it's always like this. And then and then I leave it for a couple hours. Ideally, I leave it for like a day. Come back to it for the edit, and then I go, oh, there it is. I know. Delete the first 375 words. There's my intro. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then get into the thing. So that's that that's the first part of it but the, I also in in the editing process I really challenge everything I've written with okay. the perspective of why does anyone want this sentence why do they want this sentence why do they want this sentence so it's cuz I I really want what I'm writing to have I want everything to have meaning like yeah. I, I want it to be really economical and in general like whatever whenever I write something I want it to be as short as possible. Like ideally, like yep. some of my blog posts are kind of long, but I think they could have been longer. And if you think about something like eight counterintuitive marketing tactics, you can imagine 
Maybe that's an 8,000 word blog post. I don't know. Maybe right. each thing's a thousand words. I think I managed to get it down in like 3,000. And that's probably the longest thing I've written. But even then I was like, this is too long. I don't, I don't, right. want, I don't want this. Um, so I do try to make things as short as I can. And you got to scrutinize. It sounds like you're scrutinizing every single word. Um, yeah. Which I don't think happens enough. I want to encourage uh, our audience to ask any questions. Now would be the perfect segue uh, for that. Um, Patrick actually asks, who's your number one enemy or what? My number and one can enemy. You please, and can you please choose a name for the enemy? <laughs> My number one enemy is... Mm, I have my teeth. I just felt a poppy seed in my teeth. So one, my, my one enemy right now is poppy seeds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I really think my, I don't know what, I, what else to say other than. No, I, I want to have something specific. Um, my enemy is shitty marketing hacks. No marketing hacks, because I think marketing okay. hacks are shitty, shitty. Uh, marketing hacks. That is my, like, that's my enemy. I don't think you can hack your way into things. Or I guess I think you can hack your way into things. That's why these things exist. Yeah. But they are a recipe for long-term disaster. Like you're not building credibility. You're not building goodwill with anybody. You are literally just hacking your way to get to the next step. And I think that's a terrible way to do things. We've heard on the show a couple times now, uh, Kevin Endig was on a couple weeks ago and we had Pat Laya on not too long ago. And one of the major through lines through those conversations was hard is your moat. It has to be hard. You have to do things that people, other people aren't willing to do because if not, there's no, there's no distinction. Right. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it, I think. I think most of us, I think all of us are lazy. I'm lazy, right? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we're all lazy in our own ways. Yeah. Um, you just, you, you have to just choose your type of hard. Um, yeah. And then in a way, trust that like, because everyone's lazy, they're, they're not going to do what you do. Like no one's going to do this show, Tommy. Like no one's going to copy this format and then be like, this is how it's going to get done. I'm going to copy this every single week because no yeah. one's going to do that. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I've already started. I've started to see some some imitations come up, but but I That's think cool. of that. I, I think of that as a very good thing. I actually have yeah. a content code, and one of the things is if people aren't trying to emulate your work. You're doing something wrong. So yeah, I think that's that's that it's flattering more than anything else. That's and then it true. Just pushes me to do better. So right, but no one. But yeah. I guess it's, it's more like no one's doing it in your way because only right. you can do it in your way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's only one me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so perfect. All right. So we've talked about the process. We've talked about pregame. Let's jump into the edit. And while you're, while you're pulling that up, I would like to encourage uh, folks, if you're on the YouTube channel right now to subscribe, uh, we've got some really cool stuff happening. We do this on a weekly basis and uh, we generally try to do clips and make things a little bit more digestible. Uh all right, cool. So let's both mute right. our cameras and we'll go through this. And before we jump straight in, what was your first impression of this piece?
my first impression of this piece. Um, so when I when I when I started reading this piece, I really liked it, but I wasn't sure what it was about. So maybe we'll even just start with a headline. Cleverness is a sprint, but you're running a marathon. Like I like I think this very much speaks to me. I think. I think it, I think the the headline is clever. I think I know what it's about, but I'm not sure. So probably debatable whether this is a good headline because there's a big part of me that that loves this headline, but there's this other part of me, maybe the skeptical marketer in me that thinks it's not immediately clear what I'm going to get from this post. But I like it. It's original. So that was my first thought here. Um and then maybe we'll just go through the paragraph. Um, as I was starting to outline this piece, Google announced that they're shutting down their Stadia cloud, uh, Stadia cloud gaming service, which was described by many as too clever by half when it first launched. Without going into too much detail, it promised to revolutionize console video gaming by removing the physical box that you blah, 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 blah. So then I got lost, right? <laughs> so right. then I was like, am I reading about Stadia or what? So this is where I would be like, you know, where it says here without going into too much detail, this is, I think I would just cut this. Like I would just, um, I am shy and I'm going to leave comments instead of just editing, um, delete. So I would delete this because I think if you're going to, if you're going to go into any detail, you go into detail, right? If you're going to, if you're going to caveat something with, without going into too much detail, dot, 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 I say then strike it. Then don't go into detail. Yeah. Don't don't do anything. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so so at this point, I'm still not really sure what it's about. Cleverness is a sprint, but you're running a marathon. Something about Stadia. Then I got bored. Um, but let's move on. Watching early demos, you'd think it was that it was some kind of magic, which is which was part of the problem. Nobody really knew how it actually worked. But for a company as large as Google, that hardly seemed to matter, huh? In an early TV commercial, Reggie Watts described it as electric air a phrase that was exciting enough to garner the interest of big-name partners like Capcom, Bungie, and Peloton. Hmm. Without... Yeah. I actually really like this paragraph. I personally really like it. That might just be because I'm kind of... I'm a fan of Reggie Watts. I like his work. I think he's funny, and I think he's really talented. I don't know... But my question is, like, does the reader know who this is? Like, I do. Right. So maybe it's just, like... Does the reader know who this is? And, you know, depending on who this article is for, maybe they do know. Maybe it is a fair assumption. Um, describing it as electric air. And that's an easy enough fix, too. Like, Reggie yeah. Watts, the blah, blah, blah of blah, blah, blah. Describe right, it like, as... Yeah, like, maybe we even just say, like, comedian and entertainer or something. I don't even know. I don't know if that's proper, right? Because... He's also a musical artist, so. Oh yeah, 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 I know who Reggie yeah. Watts is. Now that you mentioned, he's yeah. got the crazy hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, and now this thing, this I think is de- debatable, right? Described it as using electric air because this is one of those things that feels sort of jargon, not jargony, like treasure hunty. <laughs> like, I think it's interesting. As a reader, I'm like, oh, what's electric air? Like, I want to know what that is. 
I, and I, I think it's fine to just sort of leave these breadcrumbs because that's what kind of grabs people. It helps them feel they're sort of in the know of something. But mm-hmm. I think the phrasing around electric air is not specific or descriptive enough to, to give you more clues as to what it is. And it encourages you, know? you to click off the article before yeah, you even exactly. get into it too deep. But yeah, treasure hunting, but it makes users want to leave. So this feels like I would figure out how to zero click this, right? How, how, okay. can you, how can you describe electric air in a way that the reader would understand it, but also feel like, oh, I'll read the article later. Right. Because I want to learn more. Um, describe it so that people don't want to leave. Now they'll check it out later. All right. It was going to be the next big thing until, of course, it wasn't. So here, like, I, I feel like this is a good sentence, but it's also not, right? I think it's exciting right. to be, like, it was going to be the next big thing until, of course, it wasn't. Like, what? It's, a, it's good, but at this point, we've been, we're still in the intro. Um, so, like, so what? Like, maybe it's even just if you... If you were to move this up, it would be better. To maybe maybe it should, it should even be like um should be even the second or third sentence of the piece. Like blah blah blah, it was clever, bogged down my real world limitations, like international copyright laws. Oh, this is this is interesting. See, this is where it's like, oh, you can give the, some of the detail as to why Stadia didn't work out. Like, I think this is, I think this is probably enough. There's a lot that you can cut out yeah. between those, the opening lines and that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the rest of the piece isn't about Stadia. It's yeah. about being clever. Right. Which, by the way, I gave you this piece because mm-hmm. I think you are clever. So... <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Yeah, uh, I, do I do want to encourage yeah. uh, people too. if you want to follow along with the piece as Amanda's editing, uh, there is a link in the comments that you can check out. Um, cool. Let's see. One of the reasons for this is that cleverness often comes hand in hand with hubris or is in fact hubris itself disguised by intelligence. Hmm. Stories like Stadia's aren't new. Tortoise and the Hare. This is boring, I think. I think this can be done in one sentence. Okay. Um, okay. One midsummer morning, there was going to be a race. Fintech bro completely with Patagonia vest. That's funny. The hare agreed to the race because he had a secret weapon. He was much faster than the tortoise, like incredibly so. In the world of tortoise racing, the hare was a 10x runner easily, and he accepted the challenge in order to disrupt that world and rise to new heights as its champion. This was him being clever. There was no way he could lose to a tortoise. Uh, <laughs> Do we continue with the tortoise and the hare story? Yeah, I don't I know, because now, now I'm a little bit... This feels too long. Right. Right. 
this feels too long. Too long. I'm still not sure what the payoff will be. Do we really need to summarize this? Lens of Twitter? I don't know. All right. The race began instantly. See, this is, again, where I'm like, I, this is, I don't want to read this. Right. We already know the story. Yeah. Cool. All right. Here, Most likely yeah. you already know the end of the story. Yes. Mm -hmm. We do. Okay, cool. Cleverness isn't a team sport. Let's go straight down into that next part. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan, too, of when it comes to stuff like this, where if you're going to talk about how to be clever, you have to be clever when you yeah. create the piece. We, we did one uh, a while ago where it talked about accessibility, and then uh, the alt text on there did not describe what was going on in the image. Mm. And it was, I was like, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that that will be put in there, you know, in the publishing process. But it was one of those things where it's like, you have to demonstrate what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. I don't so, want this article to be anti-cleverness. It does serve a purpose. <laughs> Without new ideas and innovation, we wouldn't have a lot of the nice things we have today. Um, uh, this means clever think about clever ideas is that they're often difficult to explain to anyone who's not inside your head. That's true. This means if you intend to rely only on your own cleverness, you're most likely going to end up working alone. I actually think this is super interesting. Like these two sentences. This feels fresh and novel. That feels like the intro. Yeah. It does, yeah. This, like, I'm finally at the... Ooh, I want to read this. Quick sidebar. Uh, mm -hmm. Anybody who watches the show on a regular basis um, will, will, will have heard me say this, but the average American reader reads nonfiction at 238 words per minute. Mm. So, by the time... Can you just do a quick... Uh, Quick oh. word count up until yeah, this yeah. point. Up until this point. Let's see. Okay. Wait, what is it format? Right? Is it format or tool? Tools. All right. 600 words. Yeah. Oh so my. it's taken us. Intro. <laughs> right. It's taken us more than three minutes to get to what the actual point of the article is about. And by this time, and I've seen this. Uh, before, by this time, if you look at a heat map, people are gone. They're they're done. Mm -hmm. You know, this wasn't. We get to the point where, what am I waiting for? So this would be a great. I would cut every single word up into that part where you just started to highlight. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That is so well said. I didn't even think about that about the average time it takes someone to read fiction. That's interesting. Yeah, nonfiction. Nonfiction. It's faster. Yeah. It's yeah. faster for fiction, but that we're yeah. not writing fiction in yeah. most cases. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that I care about a lot when it comes to like the actual physical interaction with these pages because that's so important, and we have to consider those things as we're going through. 
And yeah. what I like about this next section, right, is I'll use an example from my own life. Perfect. That's yeah. great. Now we have lived experience that we're jumping straight into and I have a reason to connect with you. Yeah. Oh, totally. See, like if I if, if this were the final piece and I were the reader, I wouldn't even make it. I wouldn't even make it to this part because I'd be too frustrated. Right. Yeah. But reading this with a fresh perspective right now, like pretend this is the actual second paragraph. I think it's interesting. Like, sure, I don't know what my function thingy is or thinking about. Like, I don't know what this means. But again, it's with that treasure hunt. It's like, I don't, it's okay that I don't know what that means. If this is, if that's the, the clever piece that we have and it's just this, I'm fine with that. Right. right? That's like, if it feels like I'm along for your ride and, I'm, and I like it. Um, for a time, I was obsessed with code, code golf, connect my code, da, 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 da. In my own head, all of this worked out just fine because I had internalized all of the context for what each thing actually meant. I could compress and convolute it all and still make it work. But when I entered the professional world, it was quickly made clear that this approach would not work. Not because the code didn't run, but because nobody else could understand it. They didn't have my context. So this, you know, we could just edit this. Um, but I think we could just condense this a little bit, but this is great. Right. It's it relatable. explains. Yeah, it's relatable. It makes sense. It explains like the treasure hunt thing. Right. Like it like yeah. this relates to this treasure hunt. Right. There's a payoff. I'd name functions like my function thing about Bob. I don't know what that means, but I'll keep reading. And then I get to hear like, oh, you're saying it. Be you're, you're pointing this out because you know what it means, but I don't know what it means. And that's kind of the whole point. Like that's I was great. too clever for my own good. <laughs> exactly. From this came the first piece of advice I could receive from an engineering manager. It's better to be clear than clever. Perfect. I love it. Um, any profession, often better to have a stupid idea. Da, 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 da. I didn't yeah. put that line as the intro. Right. Yeah. Like, it's better to be clear than clever. Because I clicked on something on how to be clever, and then you're, com you're completely... Uh, changing my assumptions of what this piece is going to be about. Yeah. Like I would right. almost say this could be the headline, but I think, I think the, I think the phrase is enough. Like it's commonly said enough that I don't know if it'll work for a headline, but yeah. I mean, I like it. Um, it's better. Yeah, that's why I like it as the opening sentence. Cause it's a yeah. reversal. Like I clicked on this thinking about how to be clever. And then you're telling me it's not even, you, yeah. you're, you're, you've, you've, you've broken my guessing machine immediately yeah now let's talk about your experience uh any profession it's often better to have a stupid idea that's easy to understand than a clever idea that's confusing blah 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 being a uh, cleverness for its own sake only excludes the community even if that wasn't the intention this is so good yeah yeah so yeah good. it just it takes a long time to get to this point mm -hmm. right patrick says in the chat that line seems like it needs to be taken to heart for this article. It's clever and fun, but I have to think so hard. Uh, if I wasn't editing the piece, I'd miss most things here. It's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Totally. Okay, now right. how to be clever? Oh, I like this. Great. Maybe this is even. Maybe this is the headline. <laughs> that is the headline. Oh, I like this. Is it? Yeah. What? Yeah, that's just that's just the way I formatted it, where oh. I put the headline at the very top of the article. Oh, yeah, but yeah, right that's here. Oh. yeah, 
yeah, that is the that is the headline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is it because it's because this I mean, how to be clever that is fresh, that's new, that's exciting. That is nobody's written about that. I love it. Now we're left with a conundrum. Cleverness seems necessary for creating new things. Here's what I propose. Be clever together. Hmm. Oh, that's I don't know what that means, but I'm along for this ride. At the end of the day, cleverness isn't a measure of your intelligence. It's your ability to see the world in a new way and relate that to others. Oh, that's really good. Love there's it. so much of this. This is yeah. all so buried, but there's so much of this that has so much potential. Yeah. So while the professional world may be focused on the first part right now, I challenge you to put practice into the second. Take the ideas you're proud of and explain them to the people you care about. Ask them for feedback. Find other clever people who want to do the same and be a sounding board for them. Um, if you don't have a group available, start recording yourself. Love it. This is great. What, what you'll likely discover is that not all clever ideas will work out. Through the, through the process of getting and receiving feedback, some of your favorite ideas might turn out to be total crap, and that's okay. Yep, I like this, Killing Your Darlings. I love that. We got to do more of that in this piece. Yeah, <laughs> we do. <laughs> uh, oh. I love it. See, this is great. And I, I, think, I think you can keep... Um, the tortoise and the hare thing. If 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 someone's if the writer's committed to that, it just needs to be way shorter. Because this yeah. is a nice this is a nice callback. Um, nice callback. Oops. Nice callback to to the fable, but also not necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I love I, it. I think that. I think the thing is, if we cut all of that stuff in the beginning, right mm -hmm. now we have the actual idea, and I want to see more of that expanded on. Yeah, right. Yeah, because there's there's a conversation to be had around synergy, right? The yeah. one plus one equals three. The the author really clearly has an idea of how to uh, position this in a way. Once we get out of our own way here, um, how to position it more more clearly. But then, like, I'm I'm invested when we get to this part, right? So, yeah, you know, how can we how can we talk about, you know, this is an opportunity where maybe we have uh, little workbooks, right? A little mini yeah. workbook on how to do a brainstorm together, right? There are definitely exercises and opportunities to do that. I want to know how I can get my own coworkers and colleagues out of their head. Mm -hmm. This gives me a really solid opportunity uh, to, to put that in there. That's one of the pieces of feedback I would, I would definitely yeah. give. Totally agree. So like I marked up here, like this is basically where the blog post starts. And at this from, from here on out, it's a, it's a 600 word post. So I think if there, if the idea is to, to, to really make this be about how to, um, how to be clever, then we ex we expound. Oh wait, no, this was wrong. Sorry. Um, I think we expound on the how to be clever, mm -hmm. right? Like I think here's where we go. This is where the basically the intro is. Um, yeah. So how to be clever? Now we're left with the conundrum. Here's what we do: ask for feedback. I wonder if it if it makes sense to add another. Um, another firsthand experience here. Yep. Yep. 
Yep. So like, and if yeah, there's there's an opportunity here to also tie back to the right. You've got the you've got the setup of be clever together, mm-hmm. but now you can also have an opportunity to tie back to not going too far in the clever direction and go back to clarity. So what's that process of going from clear to clever and then from mm-hmm. clever to clarity, right? Yeah. So that's one of the things I think is really, really interesting about this piece. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, once you're done with that comment, let's mm-hmm. uh, let's get rid of the screen share. We can take a little bit of time to, if the audience has any questions here, that would be fantastic to answer. And uh, there we go. Mm-mm-mm. Welcome back. Hey. Hey. Wouldn't it have been funny if I changed my clothes? <laughs> that would have been impressive more than anything else if you were able to do both at the same time. Just wearing like a full suit. <laughs> yeah. If you ever did theater, then a quick change is definitely yeah. not within the uh, realm of... I did a just a little sidebar here. Nobody really cares about this, but um, I used to do theater uh, a lot. And there was one time I was operating a puppet while also doing a quick change. Uh, in in the back, so full costume change while operating a puppet. Oh wow! Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It's my. That's my highlight of my entire <laughs> acting career. Bring the puppet no. back. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Well, Amanda, we are at time here, but could you just sort of summarize some of the stuff that we've talked about and uh, tie it up for us? Yeah. So let's see. So I'm gonna say. We, um, when we're creating content, we focus on clever ideas, right? We, we write about the things that maybe come from some kind of firsthand experience or at least experiences we know well, right? If you don't have a firsthand experience, can you interview someone else? Can you, can you, can you bring forth someone else's perspective as an example or as a proof point in something? That's, that's one thing. Second thing is think about how you position your content to make it, zero clickable <laughs> make it such that you you position it with standalone value so that people don't need to click but that they actually want to right they get some they get some value consuming it in its native format whether it's a tweet whether it's an email newsletter teaser that kind of thing mm-hmm. and then finally when you are writing your blog post you know we I do it too and it's funny cuz I, I talked about this before we got into the edit, which was when I write something, I, I know that I'm writing crap. And I know that when I sit down to edit, that I'm going to erase my first 375 words. This mm-hmm. was kind of similar to this edit, right? So we all do it. I do it. Encourage you to think about writing and editing as two different types of activities and seeing where that takes you. That is perfect. A perfect, perfect summary. I am going to put a few links in the chat here. Uh, one is the SparkToro office hours. Another is Amanda's. Uh, oh, uh, they all sort of stuck together there. So mm-hmm. one is SparkToro's office hours. Another is Amanda's Twitter handle. And the third one is if you would like to be notified about future episodes. Uh, as well as get exclusive bonus content and all of the replays, uh, you can go to thecontentstudio.com forward slash The Cutting Room and sign up for the email list there. And there's all sorts of fun stuff that happens behind the scenes. All right. And 
put that there. My producer is uh, off right now. She's traveling. So it makes it a little bit more challenging to do all the stuff to alone. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah. I hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. Thank you for having me, Tommy. And if anyone's still tuning in, um, check us out at Spark Together. It's on Thursday, a live virtual event, not recorded. Um, where the vibe is like not so much conference, but like post-conference back of the bar, hanging out over beers or Cokes or waters, whatever it is you drink. Um, yeah. sharing their hard-won stories, stories of trials and triumphs. Um, it'll be a really fun day. So hope you can always join us for Spark Together. You've got a great guest lineup there too. I'm very excited. So yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you, everybody. And